Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Book of Isaiah chapter 7. What are we talking about? We're talking about why Jesus came. Our salvation story. That we can learn from the scriptures of the heart behind why Jesus came to the earth to begin with. How that should impact our life. And therefore we can walk in the benefit and the blessing of the very purpose for why he showed up to begin with. Thank God we can. I said thank God we can. And we need to understand clearly from the scriptures of what the very purpose of Jesus coming for, uh, coming to this earth was for, so that we can truly know and honor him and the life that he gave for what we have available to us. Isaiah 7 is another verse. Haven't looked at this one yet in our series. Turning to, I told you we'd look at multiple verses that refer to the birth of our Savior, the birth of Jesus, and help us to understand more about him. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 as one of those prophetic statements given by Isaiah about the birth of Jesus. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, and she will bear what? A son, and shall call his name what? Amen. Well, that his name was Jesus. It is relationship to what we know as the one who came, our deliverer, our savior, but he is a God who has multiple facets and thus multiple names. He has seven redemptive names. Thank you, master. But the name here referring to what was significant for me and you, and he, notice again, his name shall be called Emmanuel. 15, curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good, meaning that he would not sin, he would fulfill what was needed to take care of what we had to have done for us to walk in victory as children of God. For obviously if he had sinned, then we would have not had a Savior to deliver us. But thank God he did not, praise the Lord. Tempted in all ways, but did not sin. So back to verse 14, you will see this sign. This virgin will conceive and bear a son and his name will be called what again? Amen. Which means, if you don't know it, God with us. God with us. If you look up the simple definition of the word there, the translation of it, or even a center column reference Bible, it will tell you the phrase simply refers to God with us. Say, he's with me. So listen, God isn't just here. He's with you. He came to be with us. And that refers back to the first thing of what we've already talked about of the four things we've already covered as to why Jesus came. So let's review them real quick. Number one, he came to do what? He came to restore God's presence in our life. You may have to look to your notes. He came to restore God's presence to our life, God with us. So the very first benefit and one of the greatest things of why Jesus came was to do what? Reunite us with the presence of God. The presence of God left man. I've told you again multiple times in other services, imagine the darkness that Adam and Eve must have felt having never experienced darkness nor evil, 
You know, you have, a little different for you, but to understand how they must have felt in relationship to knowing the fullness of God's presence, it wasn't just the fact that you and I have him living within us. He was upon them. They, they were fully aware of the fullness of God's presence. Have any of you ever been a time in your life at all on the planet since you've been born again where the presence of God became so real to you? Magnify that by probably about a million fold. And that's what they were walking in because they weren't affected by sin at all. And all of a sudden when they sin, guess what? Imagine the darkness, the feeling, the sense of despair, the feeling of, and sense of, of total loss of hope that had to have come to them to have the presence of God leave them. But thank God Jesus provided the way for me and you to have the presence of God back within us. Now that's multiple reasons in significance. First and foremost, above all, we can have relationship with him. But above that, we got to recognize too, everywhere I go, I'm a carrier of God. The greater one goes with me. I still see this a lot with believers, and I know why it's true. People sometimes that hear me say it that are ones that say this kind of thing get mad at me, and they get upset at me and all that. And I wish they'd just hear the heart of what I'm saying because I'm trying to help them. I'm really trying to help them. One of the things that happens during the holidays, of course, loved ones and the natural that have gone on home to be with the Lord, a lot of times people get to feeling lonely. Let me help you. If you're a believer who feels lonely, you're just, you just told me about your walk with God. It ain't good. It ain't good. Because if you're walking close with God, why would you feel alone when you got the God of all the universe? I didn't say you don't miss a loved one. That's not what I'm saying at all. See, a lot of people take it wrong. I'm just telling you, if you're aware of God's presence, are you going to feel alone in this world? Lord, no. You're going to feel absolutely in peace and in joy and in total comfort of the Holy Spirit, praise God. And when you do have the thought in the natural of them being gone, there's a peace that overwhelms you. There's a comfort that surrounds you and fulfills you. You didn't lose them, folks. If they were born again, this still kind of frustrates me to some degree because Christians don't realize how much this is still walking in the natural and not walking in the spiritual. You listening? Why did Jesus, you know, Jesus sounded pretty harsh when he had a guy say, let me go home and bury my father, then I'll come follow you. He said, forget it. <laughs> Jesus' words. Why? He said, let the dead bury the dead. Yeah, right. Meaning what? He's not here anymore. You listening? I'm not, he's not against memorial services or funerals or whatever, although he showed up to one and he ended the memorial service because he brought the boy back to life. He's not against that. I'm just here to tell you a lot of people get caught up in the natural, even as believers, about things that really we don't understand that can affect us in our walk with God. Should you ever feel alone as a believer? If you're aware of God's presence, let me help you. Loneliness is no longer a part of your life. It's a thing of the past. I've known people as believers who continue because I have such lack of friends and lack of people around me and all this kind of stuff. I feel lonely. You're telling me again that you're really not very close to God. Your relationship with God isn't where it should be because guess what? If he's with you, then the greater one is everywhere you go. He is there everywhere you go. And I'll guarantee you, there's nothing. You're not going to get any more peace, joy, love, comfort from any human like God can give you. Amen. You listening to me? And if God is with me, what, guess what? Why would I ever feel lonely? That's right. I w I'll tell you why. Because you're not aware of him. Aware. So one of the greatest reasons that we have the benefit of walking on this planet as a believer is because that presence has been restored to us. If we're not sensing and acknowledging and recognizing that presence, that's on us. 
That's our fault because God made it possible for us to draw near to him, experience him, and walk close to him. Could I get a better amen? amen. Every great man or woman of God I've ever known. Kenneth Hagin was one of them. You heard me say it many times, okay? So I'll give you an example. He actually one day coming back from a ministry trip, long, long trip coming home at night, and had uh, one of the children at the time, pretty young, in his hands, walked up to the door. They're fixing to unlock the door. And Aretha turned. I don't know why she thought to say it, his wife. But she turned and she said, if, if me and the kids dropped dead, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't feel alone for a minute, would you? No. She got mad at him. She got mad at him. He said, I wouldn't miss you. Uh, excuse me. I, I, excuse, I'm not saying I wouldn't miss you, but I'm not going to feel alone. Are you kidding me? I got God. Some of you still looking at me like, Pastor, this is pretty tough to take. Let me help you. You're not aware of his presence then. What is his presence? Well, let's see. God's love, God's joy, God's peace. Come on. God's comfort. How do you feel alone with all that? You don't. I said you don't. That's a powerful benefit. I said that's a powerful benefit. He restored to us the presence of God. I should not feel alone anymore. I said, I should not feel alone anymore. If you, if you focus on your relationship with God, you know what you're going to do? Brother Hagin lived in this truth. You're going to look at people who have passed on to the believers, and when you think about them, you know what you're going to do? You know what you're going to do? You're going to rejoice. We're not of those who, who obviously, again, who deal with this kind of stuff and grieve in the sense of now feeling all of a sudden left out and all that. Are you kidding me? Where are they at? They're the very place we all dream to be. You can't be happy for them? You can't be excited for them? Come on, somebody. We get excited about things of what happened to people in the natural on the earth. How about going to heaven? I said, how about going to heaven? The only way I'd be grieved is if I knew without a doubt they cursed God right up to their last moment and died and went to hell. That would be a grieving feeling. But thank God if they're a believer, you you got a reason to rejoice. Come on, somebody. That's all because of what? The presence of God. God with us. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, if you're not aware of that presence, I'm going to challenge you today to get better in your closeness of your walk with God. Number two, as he gave us his presence back, what else did he give us? Our true identity. We don't have to walk with a false identity anymore. Now, let me help you kind of back to point number one. If I'm feeling lonely, where am I finding my value and worth? In the relationship with those other people. I loved them. Glad they're in heaven. You know, my mom went to heaven. I didn't bring it up to my church. I didn't post it everywhere on Facebook. You know why? I was glad to know where she was. I'll see her again. It didn't leave me alone. I have God here. I said, I have God here. I thank God she's in heaven. I thank God I know we had a chance to lead her to the Lord and she knew Jesus. Why would I be sad about that? Why would I be sad about that? If somebody goes on a vacation, you might miss them for a while, but you're not going to be sad because you know what you know? They're going to come back. They're not gone forever. No, they're not. Hallelujah. Some Christians act like the people that have gone to heaven they'll never see again. But we, we should recognize, one, not only do I have his presence, two, my true identity is what? It's not found in another individual. It's not found in my wife. It's not found in my kids. It's not found in my mom. It's not found in my dad. If I'm finding my identity in them, I'm finding my identity in the creation, not the creator. Thank God I can find my true identity in God. What a security it brings. I said, what a security it brings. These are powerful truths that sadly a lot of Christians don't understand or seem to want to live by, but it's such a benefit of why Jesus came. Thank God we can regain our full identity and worth in him. Amen? Then number three, what else did he do? He restored our God-given authority. 
our God-given authority. We got his presence back. We got our identity back. Say, I got his presence back. Say, I got my identity back. What else do you get? God-given authority. He told man to do what? Have dominion. Have dominion. Subdue. You go out and rule and reign. I gave the authority to do it. Praise God. What happened when Adam sinned? He lost all that. He lost all that. The Bible says that 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan became the God of this world. Jesus, in the time of temptation in the wilderness, had the devil tempt him with all the rulers, as rulership of this kingdoms of this world. I'll give to you because they've been granted to me. Bow down and I'll give them to you. Jesus never denied he had it. Jesus never denied he had that such authority. Why? Because Adam gave it to him. Adam relinquished it. But guess what? Guess what Revelation says? Jesus took the keys back. He already had all authority of heaven. He never lost it. But when he came to this earth, died, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, guess what he did when he came out of hell? He got the authority of earth back. Not for him. For you. And that's why it says in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven, which he already had, and now on earth, I have been given. Go. Why is he telling you to go? Subdue. Go use your God-given authority. Quit allowing the devil and his lies and his deceptions and his work to take advantage of your life. Use your God-given authority. That leads to number four. What's the fourth thing Jesus came to do? Destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil. And when you refer to the term of death as it relates to the sin of man... We saw this Romans 5, Romans 8, over and over again, talks about if Adam sinned, death came, but then through one man, life came, which is the opposite of death. Death is all the works of Satan. Death is everything he came to bring into this earth. But guess what? 1 John 3, 8 says, Jesus came to destroy. Jesus came to destroy. Jesus came to destroy. I'll just wait till you wake up. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He didn't do that for him. The devil had no authority over him. He did that for us. So not only did he give us our God-given authority back, but he also did what? He destroyed the works of the devil. None of the works of the devil, according to the Bible, very clear, Romans chapter 8, so critical for us to understand verse 2. You and I now are under the rule, the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus, and therefore the rule or the law of sin and death no longer has dominion over us. Now, it can only take a dominion if you are simply ignorant to understanding what you have or how to exercise it. And we talked about that. Say, thank you, Lord, that you have given me the ability to walk in victory over all the works of the enemy. Why? He destroyed them, praise God. Go to John 14. Number five, point number five of why Jesus came. We're just touching and highlighting on the key things of why Jesus came, our salvation story. John 14. I really wish people, when you're teaching them the word about things like loneliness and stuff, wouldn't get mad at you, that they would really listen and say, yeah, why would I be lonely? You know, if Jesus showed up today, I mean, one of the ways you could describe that to somebody is if Jesus, and he could, if he showed up today on the planet, came and fellowship with you and came and sat with you in your home, how lonely would you be at that moment? Would you be thinking about all your loved ones that aren't around you anymore? You wouldn't even have a thought about it. You'd be so consumed with him. Well, you can live that way because he does live in you. He is with you every day. Be aware of it. Amen. John 14, 
John chapter 14. So this is going to be number 5. In John 14, Jesus here said in verse 1, Let not your heart be what? Troubled. Troubled. You believe in God, believe also what? Notice that statement. You believe in God, talking about the Father. So you believe in Him, but also do what? Believe in me. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. Your loved ones are there now. You're upset because they're in their mansion? No, no. No, You're upset because they're in their mansion? Why would you be upset because they're in their mansion? You ought to be thanking God that they've upgraded. A whole lot nicer place to live. Can I get a better amen? I don't believe there's any dust in heaven. I mean, one of the greatest things I'm going to love about my new mansion. No more dusting. <laughs> no dust in heaven. Can you prove it? No, but you can't prove it ain't true. Again, in my father's house are what? Many mansions. If it were not so, if it was not true, then I would have told you. I would have told you it's not true, but it is. And I go to do what? Prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? So again, why would you be upset? He's coming back. I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. But Thomas spoke up and Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So Jesus said in verse six, I am, which is God's name, by the way, I am the way. Let me make a note about that. You ought to circle the, word, uh, the, the words of the phrase, I am. Jesus is not the I was. No. Jesus is not the I will be. No. He's the I am. Yeah. Now, there's, that's significant of how you're to walk as a believer in Christ. You're not supposed to see what God's already done for you as, I, as, as what he will do one day. No. You're supposed to see it as it's already so. Yes. Amen. That's another reason to understand God does not in, in any way himself limit himself by time. Because he's the I am. He's always present tense. I am what? I'm the way. Remember Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you're going and, and we don't know the way. How can we know the way? So Jesus answers it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Now there's a whole sermon just on that verse. I'm the way to the Father. As I lead you to the Father, I will show you truth from the Word of how to walk in the Zoe life that He has for you. I'm the way to the Father who will show you the truth from the Word that will set you free and help you walk in life, Zoe life. Verse 7, if you had known me, what would you have known? You would have known the Father also, notice, and from now on, underline this, you know Him and have seen him. What? You've known him, the Father. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. You know who he is and you've seen him. Let me, let me rephrase my statement a minute ago. He didn't say you, that you've known him. He said you know him. In other words, you now know who he is because you've actually got to see him. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. In other words, well, we'd like to see him. Can you show us the Father? Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? Notice his response. Have I been with you so long, and you've not what? Known me. 
What did he say earlier again? He said very clearly, if you believe in God, believe also in me. Have you known me so long, Philip, but yet you've not known me? He who has seen me, underline it, has what? So if you've seen a picture, we haven't seen him, obviously. He was here 2,000 years ago, now in heaven. But if we see a picture of Jesus in the scriptures, who are we really seeing a picture of? The Father. He said, if you, he who has seen me again has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? How can you say that? Mm. Verse 10, do you not believe that I'm in the Father? Come on. That's right. And that the Father yeah. in me, the words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The word authority was added. In other words, I'm not speaking my own words, but the Father who dwells in me does what? So everything Jesus did was the Father doing it through him. We often, now we give Jesus the glory for what he's done for us. The Bible tells us to do so because that's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. But all that he did on the earth in ministry while he was here was not him doing it. It was the Father. He was revealing the Father, folks. It was the Father. A lot of people say, look at all the good things Jesus did. The truth is, you should say, look at all the good things the Father did through Jesus. And you would be honoring what Jesus said. Read it again. Uh, Verse 10, very last part. Notice, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. He took no credit for the very works he did while he was here physically. None at all. That was all the Father. Say that was all the Father. Verse 11, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. But if you can't do that, he said, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves or because of the things that I do. If you can't believe me because I tell you I'm I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and therefore you're seeing the Father. If you can't believe that, could you at least look at the works I've done? Because those declare... Literally, the Father Himself. He's the one that did them, not me. Yeah, that's right. So again, He says, if you can't believe me directly for what I say, at least believe me for what? For the very sake of the works themselves, of the things that I do. If you haven't figured out number five yet, what was the fifth reason Jesus came? Jesus came, you ready? To reveal the Father to us. Amen. He came to do what? Reveal the Father. Some would say, to show us the Father... Okay, but I like the word reveal. He came to reveal the Father, the heart of the Father. He came to reveal a picture of the Father. He came to reveal everything that we should know about the Father. In relationship to our life, if we just simply look at what we see in the Scriptures, really of what's a picture of about three and a half years of Jesus' life, relationship to the Gospels and what he did in the work of the Gospels, what we should do when we go through the Gospels, which oftentimes we don't think about, when we see Jesus healing, when we see Jesus casting demons out, when we see Jesus doing all these works that he did, you know what we should say? That's my Father. That's my Father. That's my Father. That's what my Father looks like. Because Jesus is revealing to me the Heavenly Father. I've said it for years, a lot of Christians in relationship to God look at God the Father as a harsh, very different person than Jesus. But Jesus is an absolute, total, complete recognition and in a sense a duplication of the Father himself. You listening? What people see of God and the Father relating to stuff that they think is evil or bad is stuff that happened in the Old Testament. 
So just a reminder, well, God did take people's lives in the Old Testament. Let me help you. He passed judgment on them. He's a just father. Our father's so good, people don't understand. He's not going to let evil stay around. That's good. That's good. A good justice system brings people to terms of justice when they've done wrong and makes them pay for the wrong they've done. Our God is a far better God, uh, far better, excuse me, far, much far better good God than uh, our justice system is in the earth today. He is a just God. So what we see of the Old Testament, we have to be reminded, we look in light of the new, when he actually took lives of the Old Testament, he did so because of a form of justice. Justice. He knows the hearts of all men. Those who were wicked and evil in Noah's day, he wasn't wiping people out because he's an evil, harsh, mean God. Go read the scriptures. He said it had become so full of sin and darkness and evil that had he not done that, any idea what would have happened? I'll tell you what would have happened. There'd have been no Virgin Mary. Little leaven leavens the whole lump. There'd have been no salvation story. You know what you know, literally our just God was doing? Preserving our lives through the Old Testament. In dealing with the evil, he was preserving the privilege for us to know a Savior, to have the birth of a Savior. There would have been no Virgin Mary. You listening? And so realize that in the Old Testament, what God was doing was doing what? Bringing justice. Bringing justice. On top of that, in wordings, which I've told you this before, in the Hebrew language where it says, God says like to the children of Israel, I'll bring none of these diseases on you that I brought on the Egyptians. Talking about disease, not in the sense of death. Relationship to death as far as what happened of the passing over those homes, that was judgment. That that was judgment against the evil, wicked heart of Pharaoh and his people. Any of them could have turned. How about Rahab, folks? Any of the Egyptians could have turned and said, hey, we don't want to serve this Pharaoh. Would your God spare us? What did God say? Anybody in those homes. Anybody in those homes with the blood over their doorposts, death will pass you by. Rahab was an incredible example of God's love and mercy for those who have a heart to turn. She didn't like her life. Most harlots don't. Most of them get in that position actually just from circumstances and situations in their life. But I'll guarantee you what, she must have been one high class harlot because she lived in the wall at Jericho. You don't live in the wall of the city. It's one of the most expensive places to live. If you're not a pretty high class person to have the very best place of the city to live, which is on the wall. But isn't it interesting that this harlot literally knew and believed in our God and therefore actually reached out in faith to our God, sparing the spies, risking her life and saying, if I'll do this, would you have your God spare me? And he did. She's written in the hall of faith, by the way, in the book of Hebrews 11. Guess who was a descendant of hers? King David. Guess who then in the lineage of her, uh, of her life are Jesus. So understand, God can turn anybody's life around if they're willing to turn their life around. If they want to turn their life to Jesus or turn their life to God, he's a merciful God. His mercies are new every morning. When it talks about him not bringing sickness upon the children of Israel like he brought on the Egyptians, the wording there in the phrase of the verb form of the Hebrew is not quote-unquote causative, it's permissive. So God was telling the children of Israel in the Old Testament, I'm bringing all this up for a reason, Because we're going to get into two main things that Jesus revealed to us about the Father. 
So understand when we see the Father, we see the Father through what? Jesus. And as it relates to the children of Israel, he didn't bring disease and sickness on them as a form of judgment. That's why a lot of people today accept sickness and disease because they think God's dealing with them. Nope. Why did he allow sickness and disease? So again, it's a verb form, meaning not causative. I had to permit it. I had to permit it. Your unwillingness to acknowledge what I gave you as a way to get free from that, and therefore you wouldn't do it to cover yourself, was not there for me to cover you. And there are specific spiritual laws God set up. I cannot violate those laws, or God certainly wouldn't be who he says he is. Correct? As long as the children of Israel did what he told them, guess what? They walk free from sickness and disease. I can keep it from you. I can protect it from you. Guess where the ultimate protection came? The blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. That don't excite you? The blood of Jesus. So even in relationship to those phrases in the Old Testament, God didn't actually say, I will bring, I will bring none of the disease on you that I brought upon the Egyptians. He said, I'll not permit them. I had to permit it on the Egyptians because they wanted nothing to do with me. Any good amens about that? So we need a clear picture of the Father. We need a clear picture of the Father. God the Father who is a just God who will deal with evil is a good God. A God who wouldn't deal with evil is not a good God. It's not a just God, but thank God He is. I said thank God He is. And all evil is eventually going to be what? Dealt with. So I want you to see this again. Verse 9. He who has seen me has seen who? Say it. He who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. Go to Acts 10. So if you and I would just look at a picture of Jesus in the Gospels based on what he did and in Scripture that reveal about Jesus himself as who he came to be and do what he did on this earth, what are we seeing a picture of? You're actually not seeing a picture of Jesus. What are you seeing a picture of? The Father. The Father. The reality of what I believe is significant to Jesus is, guess what the Father was not going to make Jesus do? Die on that cross. Was not going to do that. Jesus chose to do so. Jesus did not allow his life to be taken. He gave it up. So he certainly deserves all the glory for what he did because he didn't have to go through that, but he did. Right? He even in the time of prayer said, Lord, if there's any way but this, that this could pass from me, but I'm not going to fulfill my will, I'm going to carry out yours. So that was a willful choice by Jesus to obviously do what he had to do. Let's learn two key attributes about the Father that Jesus reveals to us. You ready? Yes. Acts 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive, notice this, I perceive that God shows what? Now you have to define when the term comes up talking about God. Is it talking about God the Father? It's talking about Jesus the Son? It's talking about the Holy Spirit? They're all God. They're all deity. This is talking about God the Father. God the Father shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears Him, Jesus, uh, fears Him, God, works righteousness and therefore is accepted by what? By Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through who? Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God, say the Father, notice this, how God did what? He anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the... Uh, so there's the Trinity. It's amazing how people want to deny the Trinity. And I mean, there's so many verses that prove God is a three-part being. 
Three persons. There are people today, Jehovah's Witnesses believe there's only one God, there is no Trinity. They believe we get to heaven, just be one God on the throne. Isn't it interesting they acknowledge Jehovah, Jesus, as the one who died for our sin. But we get to heaven, it's just one God. Not true. God the Father did what? Anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he did. He anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about what? Shout it at me. Notice the very first thing he talks about what Jesus went about doing. Now, we, he could have said he went about preaching the gospel, good news. He went about telling people about the kingdom. He, but all included, all included. But what's the phrase the Bible says? After God anointed Jesus, that Jesus went about doing. What did he go about doing? Good. He went about doing good. So the first attribute of what Jesus revealed about the Father that's so critical is, guess what? Your God is everything that's good. Because Jesus went about doing what? Now, what was Jesus while he was about doing good? Revealing the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God anointed me to go about doing what? Good. I'm going to tell you why. Because your Father is good. He went about doing good and healing how many? All who were oppressed of the devil. Say, I serve a good God. Now, even though mentally we know that, I'm going to show you two things about God today and challenge you at the close of the service today. Even though mentally we know that, I don't think a lot of us have yet fully walked or arrived in the true revelation of how good God is. He's so good, he allowed his son to bear your sin. He's so good, he allowed his son to bear your sickness and disease. He's so good, he allowed his son to bear the very punishment your sin deserved. Am I going to get any amens out of this church family today? Let me go back to him again. He's so good he had his son bear your sin. He's so good he had his son bear your sickness and disease. He's so good he had his son bear your punishment that your sin deserved. That's a good God. He didn't have to do any of that. But he's so good. I said he's so good. So Jesus again said, if you've seen me, who have you seen? The Father. And Jesus went about doing what? Good. Say, my father's good. For us to not understand that clearly God is all that's good and even desires for us to be healed clearly, we don't walk in the light of the truth, obviously, of what Scripture reveals about our God. So with the knowledge that God is good, I want you to go with me, if you would, please, to the book of John. Again, chapter 1. Say, praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is so powerful. I want you to see this. Um, actually, I'm in the wrong place. Sorry. Uh, f- I bet it's 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. need to pay closer attention to my notes. 1 John chapter 1. Say, praise the Lord. Praise Say, my God, my God is everything that's good. He is everything that's good. Well, that's not correct either. Trying to see why in the world I got this wrong. Maybe it is John chapter 1. Maybe I was correct the first time. No, I'm not going there. Yeah, go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So say, my God is everything that's good. He is not bad. He's not evil. He has no evil in him. 
That's what I, there we go, there we go, there we go. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. James chapter 1. Oh. Not John 1. <laughs> Might need to write better in my notes. James chapter 1. Aren't you grateful for the Holy Spirit? James chapter 1. Here we go. This is where I want to get to. James chapter 1. Much better. Look at this about our God. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He went about doing what again? Good. Good. Look at this in James chapter 1, giving us a better, further insight to the definition of how good our God is. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures what? Now, what are we tempted to do? Our own desires are that which is of the flesh, which would not be good. We're not tempted to do good. We're tempted to do that which would not be good in the sight of God. Again, blessed is the man who what endures temptation. For when he has been approved, what will he receive? He'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There are crowns to come. I said there are crowns to come. There are rewards to come. 13, let no one say, say no one. Let no one say when he's tempted. Listen to this phrase. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. How do we know God doesn't tempt us? Watch this, underline it. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Say God cannot be tempted by evil. You want to know why? You want to know why? Because there's no evil in him. He can't tempt you with what he doesn't have. So if God himself clearly has no evil in him, then God is everything that is good. Because he can't even be tempted. Tempted. Why can God? Notice the phrase again. Read it again. Let no one say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. Say, God doesn't tempt me. Next phrase. Watch this. For God himself cannot be tempted. God himself cannot be tempted by evil. Why? There's nothing evil in him to tempt him with. If he had any evil at all within him, you could tempt him. You listening? You could tempt God to do something wrong if there was evil in him to do so. But he's not obviously evil. He has no evil in him. So he can't be tempted by something he himself doesn't have. Therefore, nor does he himself do what? He doesn't tempt anyone because guess what? He has no evil in him to be tempted by. Therefore, he has no evil to tempt anybody else with. You still with me? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. If you give in to the temptation and sin when it's full grown brings forth what? Now, that doesn't mean now you're separated from God. That just means you're not walking in the benefit of what you have as a believer because you haven't dealt with or addressed the sin. You haven't turned from it. 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Say, don't be deceived. What does he not want us to be deceived about? That there is no evil in God. That God is nothing but good. Even the insurance company world needs to learn it. You listening? Tornadoes are not acts of God that wipe out people's homes. Not in the time frame which we're living. These are acts of what's going on to the fall of the, uh, fall of the earth and it groaning. That's right. 
because of the evil that's overtaken it. 17, what does he not want you to be? 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. From what? 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Say it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Say it again. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? It, from, it comes from above. And it comes from who? The Father of lights. Now the phrase there, Father of lights, means the Father of spirits. So that's where I tell you all the time, when a child is conceived in a mother's womb and born, their spirit didn't come from Satan. That spirit belongs to God. They come, Romans 7, to a knowledge of sin. That spirit dies. And that's why you got to be born again. So he is the father of spirits. Notice this. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I want you to look at two things. Verse 17. Every good gift and perfect gift comes from the father of lights. Where there is no variation or shadow of turning. What that means is, is that, you ready? He doesn't even cast a shadow. Think about it. God has no casting of any shadow coming from him. You listening? You and I, you know, we get around a light, we cast a shadow. God don't. If you, if you had God standing here today, you'd see no shadow. You want to know why? He has no darkness. What emanates from him? Nothing but light. What does light do? It expels all darkness. If you have light emanating from you, guess what you don't ever have? A shadow. Because where darkness tries to come and cast a shadow through you, guess what? It can't because the light drives it back. Your God's so good, he can't even cast a shadow. You listening? Say, my God is everything that's good. So realize there is nothing evil about God. There is nothing of any way darkness about God. God gets a lot of credit for stuff he doesn't do. I mentioned this again the other day in one of our services. I don't know if it was last Wednesday night or last Sunday about all these people who claim, you know, uh, that everything happens for a reason. And most people mean that are believers. They mean, well, if something bad hap- happened in my life, God had a reason for it. No. No, God don't bring bad into your life to have a reason. Oh, I got a reason for this bad thing to happen to you. Well, if that's true, he's not a very good God. You listening? Bad stuff happened in the earth to people because you're in a fallen world, number one. And number two, because man reaps what he sows. Thus saith the Bible, New Testament. So Christians are even giving credit to God oftentimes. Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. God had a reason for me going there. God has a reason for me doing this. That's like saying, therefore, God is in control of you as a robot, and you're just doing whatever God's telling you to do. But if that was true, you'd pay your tithe and give offerings. You'd run to God's house. Isn't that right? You'd be a witness every day. If God was leading you that way, that strong, you'd be witnessing every chance you got. Preaching better than your amen. But see, God's not, quote unquote, in control of everything that goes on in relationship to people. He's in control of the ultimate aspect of what's going to wind up happening in all aspects of eternity, but not in relationship to what's going on the earth. Say, my God is good, and he therefore has no darkness in him. 
So think about that. The reason he can't be tempted with evil is because there's no evil in him to tempt him with. He doesn't even have a shadow. There's not, any ink, ink, there's not even an inkling of darkness with God. I'd like a better amen than that. Go to 1 John chapter 1, closing today. 1 John chapter 1. Say, my God's good. So Jesus came to do what? Reveal the Father. What's the two primary things Jesus revealed to us about the Father? Number one, he's everything that's good. He's everything that's good. There is nothing about God that's evil. There is nothing about God that's darkness. Think about sadly how many Christians have credited God with disease and sickness. Well, God must have gave you that sickness to teach you something. Well, really, seriously, if that's true, why are you going to the doctor trying to get rid of it? Why wouldn't you pray for more of it? Well, I don't just want a cold, Lord. You kidding me? No, just inflict me with every... If you're trying to teach me something, teach me good. (laughs) Just just inflict every form of disease, sickness you could on my life. Well, God must have had that person die because that young child died because he needed another angel in heaven. Let me help you. You're not angels. You'll never be one. This is ignorance gone to seed. (laughs) You understand that phrase? Ignorance gone to seed means not only are you ignorant, but you're seeding other people with it. By saying that, you get other people to start believing it. And it's not true. God promises us long life. If somebody dies early, I'm saddened by it. It shouldn't have happened in Jesus' name. But I'm here to tell you, folks, that God didn't do it because he needed another angel in heaven. You and I are going to be in a position over angels in heaven. Thus saith the Bible. You listening? Say, I'm not going to become another angel. No, you're not. If you're, if, you're, if you're going to become an angel, he would have never created you who you are as a human being. He would have needed to. 1 John chapter 1. Say it again. My God is everything that's good. Sorry, 1 John chapter 4. I apologize. 1 John chapter 4. I am messing up your notes today, ain't I? 1 John chapter 4. I want to get this across. So Jesus came to reveal the Father, right? So what does he reveal about the Father? The two primary attributes. One, he's good. He's everything that's good. 1 John 4, 7. Got your notes fixed? Listen up. Verse 7. Beloved, let us do what? Let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and what? Why? Because love is of God. Eight. He who does not love does not what? He doesn't know God. Tell me why. Because God is love. He's what true love is all about. Nine, in this is, uh, in this the love of God was manifested toward us. What was it? Made known. Was made known. God's love was made known toward us. How? That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might what? So Jesus came to show us the father. What did he come to show us about the father? He's good. He's everything that's good, and he's what? He's love. He is the ultimate truth of what love is. So what is the ultimate truth of God's love for us in proving the love of God different from the love of man? Verse 10, in this is love. So he's going to tell you. So we don't clearly define it based on our view of love. Man's view of love is actually a type of of what we would actually call a, a commitment of love only if I get it back. Or only if you show me love. It's conditional. God's love is unconditional. Our love is phileo. If you're friendly, nice, okay, I'll love you. 
God's love is agape. doesn't matter how you treat me, I'm going to love you anyway. You understand God loves every sinner in hell as much as he loves you? You want to know why? He's love. He's love. It's what he knows to do. Verse 10, in this is love. Notice this, not that we love God. So before you were born again, you could say you love God, but the truth is you couldn't truly love him without the love of God put in you. Couldn't love him the way he loves you. Didn't have that love to love him with. Not that we love God, but that he did what? What did he do? He loved us. What was the proof? He sent his son to be the propitiation for what? So what is Jesus revealing to us about the Father? True love. True love. What do you mean that he's revealing love through the propitiation of our, uh, through his son being the propitiation for our sins? He didn't just bear your sin, the punishment your sin deserved, he took as well. Meaning what? God so loves you, he is not punishing you. He punished his very own son so he wouldn't have to punish you. Amen. 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, what should we do? We also ought to do what? Now, why do we not do that? Because we don't know love well enough. We don't know love well enough. If we know love well enough, God, what would we do? Walk in the same love towards one another. That doesn't mean that we fellowship with everybody the same. But we love everybody the same. Doesn't matter what they've done, what they've said, what they've uh, 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 in any way hurt our life with or not hurt our life with. Doesn't matter. We love everybody the same, just like God does. We show them the same love by not slandering, by not gossiping, by not talking behind their back. Well, pastor, you've talked about people in this church, not by name. Yeah, but I knew who they were. Okay, so did Paul. So did John. And he named people. You know why? Because they were hurting the work of God. Why well, thought you're supposed to love people? Now, I'll guarantee you what? Speaking the truth is loving people. You don't lie. I said you don't lie. You don't cover up and allow people to get hurt and harmed because you want to walk in love. No, true love does what? Speaks the truth. It doesn't do it to be hurtful. It doesn't do it to be harmful. It does to protect. Can I get a better amen? If you parents knew of somebody that clearly could be harmful to your children, you wouldn't walk by them and not want to say anything at all when your kid's wanting to go spend time with them because you don't want to walk in love towards that person. You know what you tell your son? Son, listen, you're not going to hang daughter? No, you're not going to hang out with them. Why? Because they're not good for you. Ooh, well, that's not love. Sure it is. I'm protecting my child. I love my child. I don't want them to be influenced by evil. I don't want them to be harmed by evil. Does that mean I don't love that person? Not at all. I don't love what they do. You listening? So understand the second thing that Jesus revealed to us about the Father is what? He is love. He is true love. He's agape love. Say, my Father is everything that's good, and my Father is true love. So in closing, let's talk for a minute about that true love and how these two things should affect our life. If God so loved us that he not only sent his son to bear our sin, but the punishment our sin deserved, how could we not love him? How could we not love him? Think about the worst case scenario of somebody going before a judge in the case, let's say, electric chair or gas chamber, and they're going to die for what they've done. And somebody walks in the room and says, Judge, I'll take that gas chamber for them. I'll sit in the electric chair for him. Could you imagine somebody walking in to do that for you? But that's what Jesus did. We deserve the death penalty because of sin. Separation from God. But you know what Jesus said? I'll take the gas chamber for him. 
Put me in the electric chair, not them, judge. You free them. You let them go. And you know what the father said? I'll let you go. Somebody's got to pay. Because I'm a just God. Evil has to be dealt with. Judgment has to come. But my son has chosen to take your place. How grateful should you be? How, how different should your praise and worship in your life be knowing this? And honoring God with your life. Now think about this. What are we talking about today? Jesus came, number five, to do what? Reveal the Father. What is the Father? Everything that's good. Come on. And everything that's true love. Can I ask a question? How many of you like hanging out with people that are good people? How many of you like hanging out with people that are, love, that are loving people that walk in love? Why would you not want to hang out with the Father every day? Who's the ultimate good God? Who's the ultimate love? Why would you ignore him? Why would you not take time to run to him? To experience his goodness. To experience his love in your life. Every single day. The fact that he revealed the Father to us as being all that's good and all that's love should do what? Should want us to draw even closer to him. Should want us to even know him better. I want to know this good God even better. I want to know this God of love like I've never known anybody else. Because I want to experience that true love. And when it influences your life, guess what? It'll influence through your life. And now, as the Bible says, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. People will see through us that our God really is good. That he's not harsh and evil. Come on, somebody. Because if obviously, if the, if the goodness of God would lead people to repentance, to turn to him, how much more should us, knowing God's good, not lead us to him every day? Because it'll lead a sinner to him. But how many know that they're not going to know how good your God is if you don't know? You listening? They're not going to know how much your God loves if you don't know. But if you get to know him, guess what you're going to get to know? Everything that's good and all that is of true love. How many are grateful today? Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.